Radio Free Brooklyn. Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. You're listening to Bushwick Junction on Radio Free Brooklyn. This is a show about life's inflection points, hosted by me, Asha Saluja. It's about the crossroads in our lives, which paths we choose when we reach them, and where those choices lead us or don't. We'll talk about the decisions we agonized over and the decisions we didn't even realize we were making until years after we made them. We'll talk about how we decide things, how we weigh our options, or how we tap into our intuitions. We'll talk about the degree to which our choices matter. Do we have any control over the things that alter our fate? Or do we end up in the same place no matter which roads we take? On each show, I have a guest tell me all the big decisions they've ever made in order. We start with birth, fast forward to their first big decision, and map out the road their life has taken as a series of these inflection points or junctions. With that, I will introduce, before I introduce today's guest, actually, I just wanted to comment that um, whatever you were listening to before was pre-recorded. It was our potluck special, uh, which is an hour of a random RFB community member playing whatever they want. Uh, the thing that they said was about to play, I don't know what it was, like disco or something. This is not that. This is what I just said it was. So, um, sorry if you're here for, for the, the live experimental performance that was promised to you within the last hour of this radio station. But instead, I have something really exciting for you. Uh, my guest today is important. I'd say really important to the Bushwick community that RFB also belongs to. Uh, this person ran last year or yeah, last two, two years ago. No. Last year for city council, last November, um, for the 37th district city council representing Bushwick, parts of Bushwick, Ridgewood, Bushwick, uh, East New York, uh, Brownsville. Cool. Um, so Persephone, do you have anything else to say in the way of introduction? Um, well, uh, just hi. <laughs> hi. Yeah. How you doing? Um, Okay, so the first question on this show is, tell me about the circumstances into which you were born. Uh, Persephone uh, was not psyched to answer this question. <laughs> not really. Uh, I mean, uh, let's see. Well, I was born into a military family. Uh, my mother and my father 
uh, were Marines. Oh, uh, wow. But my mother is the one who raised me. I was uh, raised in Hawaii. Oh, cool. Uh, everybody thinks that's really cool. <laughs> Damn, <like. laughs> you caught me. <laughs> um, did you think it was cool? Were you there for your whole childhood or did you move around? Uh, I was there for most of my childhood into adulthood. Um, it was it cool? Of course it was. It was Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. So I when mean, you said everybody thinks it's really cool, includes, they're not wrong. They're not wrong. They're, okay, okay. They're not wrong, exactly. <clears throat> um, but uh, yeah, growing up in Hawaii is, is uh, interesting because there's, what do you do every day? You go to the beach. <laughs> Uh, you go to the beach and you go to the beach. Yep. Because that's what we do. Um, so it's not as cool as being from Hawaii, but I'm from Miami. And I, I have some theories about what it's like to be raised in a warm climate and then move to a place with seasons. I think it really messes with your head. Oh, my goodness. I hadn't seen snow until I moved here. Wow. Yeah. Uh, that was um, that was a shocker because i didn't have i moved here in the summer and then winter came along i had no winter clothes (laughs) yeah it's kind of brutal (laughs) it was great (laughs) i feel like also probably not your first summer but what always happens to me is every year when the summer ends i'm like oh no it's not like the summer is over what like life ends every year yeah 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 um really messes with my sense of time So I want to get to the junction where you move here. I'm not sure what stage of life that happened in. But the the next question on the show is tell me about the first big decision you ever made, whether it was in your childhood, uh, later in life, the first thing you feel like you did that uh, came from yourself rather than what was put in front of you. Well, I think that... um thinking on it it would be the time i decided to join the military um i came from a, like a military family like i said and everybody had served except i think like two people in my family yeah um so it was do i join the military or not and just try to make my way in the world and i went the military route i joined the, uh, the navy in 1989 and I stayed there until 95. Well, I don't know. I I, I um, was stationed in Jersey, so <laughs> I was pretty much in this area for most of my time in the Navy. Oh, interesting. Did yeah. you choose that? No, no. So they, the Navy kind of just plopped you here. Yeah, the they kind of needed my skills. Uh, <laughs> what What did you do? What did you specialize in? Um. I specialized in EOD, explosive ordnance disposal. Whoa. Yeah. That, like being from Hawaii, is something that might make people say, cool. Uh, yeah, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> if you've ever seen the Hurt Locker, uh, that was technically my job. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's not what I had in mind. So tell me, tell me, A, how you got into that, and B, what, what it was like for you how it played out as a child i like to take things apart and put them together and start fires so this is a sciencey job a Um, sciencey and pyro-y job 
Yeah, yes and yes and no. Yes and no. Uh no, there's a lot of um taking things apart. Uh um when I went to yeah, when I went to Iraq, I did a lot of taking apart. <laughs> Didn't know that you did that. Um so how long into your you you said that you were stationed most of it in Jersey. I didn't know that well, there were overseas stationed, tours involved. Well, in the Navy, your 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 home kind of moves. So. Right, right, right. <laughs> my mom was in the Navy. She listens to this podcast. She's probably like my most regular listener. Hi, mom. I'm sure you have plenty to say to Persephone. You're not allowed to call in. Um. So. So. You decided to do this because you kind of had this interest and skill set as a child. How long into your service were you sent to Iraq? Um, that would have been around the end, the last year and a half. How, you were there. How long were you there at a time or a total? About, I was there about uh, eight, nine months. Okay. Yeah. How did that, how did you come back from that? What perspective changes do you attribute to it? Uh, um, when they say, you know, war changes you, it does. It really does. You have a different outlook on the world, uh, after you've seen, well, you know, you can look at it on TV and like, oh, this is a war movie and this is great and interesting, but standing amidst it, I mean, it wasn't, I guess it really wasn't like a war war. It was the first Iraqi conflict um, where many of them actually surrendered to us. But uh, it's, uh, boy, I mean, it's hard. To, it, it, I, I don't know how to describe it. I mean, it, I just know I came away, you know, I went into the Navy innocent and I came away with like, wow, this is how the world works. And this is what happens in the world. And at the, after that, I was done. I was like, okay, when I, when my time is served, I think I'm going to leave the military. Yeah. Yeah. Was the change of perspective more, was it like geopolitical? Were you like, oh, this is how the word world functions? Or was it more individualistic? Was it like, this is how life goes and this is how people are? Uh, I, I, I'm going to go with the first. It, it was like definitely this is how the world functions. And I mean, to my mind, it was not what I not really what I signed up for. Yeah. And so I just needed to leave it. A lot of people in the military feel that way, don't they? Yeah. Not yeah. what I signed up for. Not, you know, you go in thinking I'm just going to get money for college and then I'm going to get out and I'm going to go to college. And after that, it, yeah. Was there any sense of patriotism that motivated you going into it? Or was it more your family just making you feel like yeah, it's a good option? It was definitely more sense of duty um, to to my family because so many people joined. And I was like, uh, I felt halfway pressured, although no one pressured me. But it was like, are you going to join the military? Like, you know, everybody's yeah. like looking at you like, you're going to join the military, aren't you? Aww. And... But everybody else went like Marine Corps. I, I, I went Navy because <laughs> I don't know. I thought I wasn't going to get into the same situations. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, I ended up seeing uh, combat. It's so funny what you just said. No one actually pressured you, but you felt a pressure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you look back on your family history, um, 
uh, which I did a lot, and it was also related to me from my, you know, from my grandparents that, mm-hmm. you know, we have a rich military history going all the way back to the Civil War, and they show me like these documents and things. I'm like, wow, you're not kidding. You're you're not exaggerating any of this, and. So that having that sit in your head through childhood all the way up until you're like, uh, so am I going to join? The, of course, I'm going to join the military. No one yeah. has to tell you at that point. It just seems it just seems like the natural thing to do. Yeah, that's so relatable. No one even has to say it. You're just told this is what we as a people do. That's fascinating. Did your family, how long had your family been in Hawaii? Not Were you born there? <clears throat> no, I was actually born in Philadelphia and I went over very young. So Got it, got it. Um was there you said it was more a sense of duty to your family, but in your family and with their history and relationship to the military, was there a sense of politics? Was it politically or or like uh what was the word I used patriotically motivated for them going back? Um, I, I don't know. Uh, my mom being a single parent, uh, I think it was more survival. Uh, my grandfather grew up in a time where it was like, you know, World War Two, Korean War. So that was probably more motivated by, um, that they, you know, more motivated by they, he had to go. <laughs> right. <laughs> Literal requirement. Okay. Uh, I think my father served in the vietnam war i don't know that much about him but i think he served in the vietnam war and that was of course hey you're getting drafted you're going um so but i think everybody did feel a sense of duty to do it Mm -hmm. i think even without all the conflicts that kind of forced people's hands into going in um i think uh i think many people in my family still would have joined the military gotcha but that said, it feels like your sense of political consciousness came in later, not so much related to that. Right, right. Okay, so you had a, a really understandably heavy time in Iraq witnessing combat, and you came back with the knowledge that you didn't want to be a part of the military anymore. Uh, Yeah, I came back. I, I came back with, I don't want to be... Pra- almost like i don't i don't want to be a part of this world anymore because <laughs> uh, wow. i came back with just an idea of well i'm going to take my savings and um i'm just not going to participate i'm going to go and just kind of party it up and just because who knows when everything will go to hell <laughs> bushwick is a great place to do that you came to the <laughs> right place um wow okay so this is this whole new flavor to your life you're like fuck duty fuck responsibility like it's time it's it it's of the utmost necessity that i enjoy my life that was sort of the yes exactly wow that's kind of beautiful right in a way but you know i guess the motivating factor yeah yeah (laughs) motivating factor aside yeah it's like i'm going to live my life uh, one day at a time and by any means necessary and I'm going to do it and I'm going to have a good time doing it. So I have a question. You decided, you made that decision and had that mindset, but did it take you a little bit of time 
to get there or was it immediate? Oh, years, years. It, it took- always <laughs> takes us too long to abandon the things that are trapping us. Oh, boy, for years, I still was waking up at 5 a.m. without an alarm. So and- to clarify, <laughs> were you just living the military lifestyle because of that or were you still in the military? Did you quit immediately? Um, I... Did I quit the wait? Did I quit the military? Well, when my time was up, I I just decided you just not to didn't re-enlist. re-enlist. Yeah, it's like no, I don't want to do this anymore. Okay. Um. So, so there was no like one last enlistment out of duty. You no, were done and done. I was I was done. I was uh, I had to be done. And where did you go geographically after that? Well, I had the decision: Do I go back? They could they would have gave me a take you know plane ticket back to Hawaii. Or I, you know, or a plane ticket to wherever I wanted to go. I was stationed in New Jersey, Leonardo, New Jersey, for those uh, who really want to know. You know, that's where the uh, strip mall was in in Clerks in Leonardo, New Jersey. Sure, we have some Jersey heads listening on the airwaves. <laughs> but uh, or so, and I really hadn't. I mean, aside from a short stint in Philadelphia, I really hadn't been to a big city. I mean, Hawaii city wise is nothing compared to like New York. I think Mm -hmm. so. Did you spend much time in New York while you were stationed in New Jersey? I kept, you know, I would go. Yeah. I think the majority of my time was spent going to Rocky Har. Oh, (laughs) in Manhattan somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. H street playhouse. And then it was on 56th street and third Avenue. And I would go there constantly. I, I think I, I think I have like 150 count of going to see Rocky Horror. That's amazing. So is it, this or is, is it really sad? No, it's it's those are the best. You are one of the best people. Rocky Horror people are the best people. Um, to, so you're kind of finding this community that's separate from your military community, yeah, just yeah. by virtue of your proximity to New York. It was so different, even from like the friends I had in Hawaii. Right. And different from, definitely different from the military. Although a lot of uh, my military friends, they would come with me. Really? Uh, yeah. To Rocky Horror? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Love that. <laughs> because, you know, it, it, we were pretty much the, the uptight people. We would go and we, you could pick us out in a crowd because our haircuts and, pretty much how we were dressed uh we didn't look like we uh lived in new york uh-huh because none of us did um it, but we had we always had a good time yeah i mean how how can you not at any rocky horror festivity um so true. So true. what was your community like in hawaii growing up like what did you 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 mentioned that the people you came to meet in new york were really different Oh, How yeah. are they different? Well, in Hawaii, we are all skaters and surfers. That's skaters and surfers. That's all we did. Yeah. <laughs> and hung out on, you know, just hung out on the beach. Uh, aside from me, from time to time, uh, making homemade explosives to set off. <laughs> set off. Yikes. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. That got me into some, you know, I was, it, definite shenanigans with uh, that. When kids with lots of mental energy get, you know, cooped up in an environment that's too relaxed, 
Got we're going to blow some stuff up. Got me expelled from school, Catholic school. Did it? Uh, yes. <laughs> that we is that was that important later? Was it important? I mean, uh, did the school you went to instead? Did you go to public school? I went after to that? a public school after that. Yeah. Was that formative? Um, it was a lot better than Catholic school. And, nice. You know, I think that's where you know I actually started to learn how to be a kid. Hmm. What age was this at? That was would have been. Let's see. I got. I got, I got expelled at like eight or nine. So for making a bomb at eight or nine. Yeah. That's like kind of impressive. Well, if you look in the right spots, you can find the information. No, this is before then. the internet. Yes, it was. <laughs> I'm impressed. I'm sure your teachers were a little bit. You scared, also got to but... remember that my mom. Was a Marine, so right. I got to hang out with a lot of Marines. <laughs> Who know these things? They they tell you these things, thinking that you're not going to follow through. Oh, my God. This is super funny. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> ah, so, well, th- this seems formative. So you, you know, made a bomb, as one does, and... I blew up a toilet. You did? Yes. Was there, like, toilet? Just water, water everywhere. Okay. Was this at your own toilet? No, like this was at house? school. This was at school. You blew up a toilet at school in the... Ba- oh, my God. So... And this got me expelled. You got kicked out of Catholic school. And then you say the school that you went to after that taught you how to be a kid. Turns out, making a bomb, not a normal part of childhood. Not a normal... <laughs> but it was fun. I mean, well, I think it was fun. Yeah. I look back on it and I still giggle. Yeah. <laughs> um... So you start learning how to play a little better yeah. without blowing anything up. Exactly. <laughs> um, that seems important. That's a life skill that stays with you. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, I mean, so many things happened. You know, I went to public school for a while and then I went, got put back into a private school. Like yeah. my, I think my mother thought I was having too much fun. Hmm. She probably were. <laughs> I was. Um. Okay, so the it was a laid back surfer skater vibe in Hawaii, and oh, yeah. then kind of you know a your typical military vibe in the military, except your friends were down to come to Rocky Horror with you. Yeah, I, most of them, which I never understood, were from like landlocked states, and you know, middle of the country. Mm-hmm. Kind of makes you wonder why they chose the Navy. There's no ocean near them. So. Exactly. <laughs> but they joined Seems the Navy. Exotic. Yeah, they joined the Navy and, you know, they didn't have New York. New York was, uh, I mean, for all of us, New York was uh, this wonderland. We just, it was amazing. There's just so much stuff that went on and so many things to see and so many things to do. Uh, I don't think, you know, even in Hawaii, we didn't have, I, I didn't have the variety. Right. So <laughs> and, how does that variety start molding you? Um, well, it definitely started make, get, getting to me to the point where I was more open-minded, more, uh, more open to accepting, started to start accepting who I was in, in general. Um, so it, it, New York was, uh, 
it was coming to New York was like entering a cocoon and started to, you know, come out. And that's, that's where my life just really started changing after I, after I finally made the move to New York after getting out of the Navy. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned we were, I kind of diverted you there, but you were like, they would have given me a plane ticket to anywhere in the world. And you said, no, I'm staying in New York. Yeah. You're like, get me on a, a bus. Ferry. Yep, pretty much. I got on a Greyhound. <laughs> Took like an hour to get to New York. And that was it. An hour and a half or so. Did you feel established enough that you knew where you wanted to live? And Oh, no, no. Um, well, I wanted to live in Brooklyn. And I ended up living in Park Slope first before it got all what it is Strollery. now yeah <laughs> this was back in like 96 okay when, oh interesting yeah before i mean i was paying for a basement apartment um on prospect park west i was mm -hmm. paying 540 a month wow yeah you can't do that anymore <laughs> <laughs> wow 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 um okay and I want to pick up the thread of your political consciousness. I'm not sure if this started to come about when you moved to New York, before, after. No, um, honestly, that really didn't start until like uh, when George W. Bush got into office. So four years later, you'd been in New York for four years, That's right? Right, 2000? Yeah, yeah, I guess that would be about it checks out okay so those first years in new york while it's still those are still clinton years things are things are okay people are happy that must have been a really fun time to be living in brooklyn <laughs> let's just talk about it for a minute uh i didn't sp i spent most of my time in park slope that's when it was starting to come up and is up and coming and there there wasn't much to do out there aside from I think there was a two boots that actually played uh live music. That two boots is still there. They they still play live music there. Do they? Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Crazy. Which was pretty cool. Uh-huh. Um and I used to go clubbing a lot, but that was in Manhattan, so Right. What was the club scene like in those days? Uh I went full on goth, okay. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> I went full on goth and I used to go to this club called the Bank. Um it was on Houston Street, uh and Avenue A. Um That's not there anymore. It's not. It's it's a, still a club, but it's called something completely different. Hmm. I think it's element or something and um but not nearly as goth i bet no <laughs> no 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 oh boy it's a little too colorful now <laughs> um but uh it it was it was a place where um the club scene was a place where i got to meet all sorts of people you know and really start solidifying my own identity um but still kind of on the edges of the whole queer scene and and everything still afraid to like jump full in uh feet first can you talk more about that was that fear from how you were treated by the queer community or was it more internal to you it was definitely some internalized things like 
you know, everybody would hate me after if if I came out, everybody would hate me and everybody would, you know, leave me. I I was a mess when it came to that. So I just kind of hit everything and just kept doing what I was doing. And it was a pretty, it still was fun, but uh, I don't think I enjoyed it fully until enjoyed anything fully until after I came out. So, so you're, you're participate, you were going to queer spaces, uh, not out yet. No. And you were enjoying it, getting your toes wet, but not enjoying it fully. Right. Basically. Right. Um, do you want to talk about coming out as a junction or would you rather not? Well, that didn't happen until late. Actually, that really didn't happen until, ooh, uh, it's 2018, uh, five years ago uh, when I finally, uh, I came, well, it happened with running into a friend of mine that I've known for 20 years who, you know, came out as trans and talking with them and then you know realizing that well not even realizing because i it's one of those underlying things uh, and it's almost cliche but you know a lot of trans people tell you oh yeah i've known like since i was a kid that i was different i may not have had words for it but i knew that i was different and my friend just helped me confirm that and just gave me that little kick over the edge. And I, I, I decided that, yeah, now it was the time I'm getting too old to just be hiding everything. <laughs> yeah. To, to be fair to you and your timeline, I would imagine that uh, in the earlier days of your participation in the queer community it it was more accepted to come out as gay or lesbian compared to coming out as trans oh yeah i'm oh. sure that it did take the time for that to normalize a little bit more for you to feel safe oh yeah yeah and you know and having a friend that i'd known for so long um you know sitting with them and talking uh she was a great help so yeah so Sometimes people are junctions. Sounds like this one person really changed the course of your life or helped to. Or, yes, definitely helped. And that's when, you know, that big decision was made. And, I mean, at the time, <laughs> it was definitely a struggle because at the time I was married. And that caused a lot of friction in my marriage. Yeah. And... um you know, so we had, <coughs> sorry, uh, we still, we still wanted to give it a shot, you know, a shot. And eventually it was, well, eventually we just had to, you know, part ways. We tried. Yeah. You know. How long were you married for? I was married for a year and a half. So this is someone you met after... After being out of the military, so when yes. you met in New York, yeah, I yeah. see. Did you go to goth night together? No, never did. No, it's funny. Um, when I was living, when I was living in uh, Park Slope, she had she had dated a, a roommate of mine, 
Ooh, I didn't know. The drama. thing is, no, no. I actually, I didn't know. I never met her. Oh. So, but she dated a roommate of mine. We we figured out the timeline, and she was going to the same clubs that I was going to. Uh huh. I never met her, and you know, figuring out the timeline is like our paths cross. We just never met each other. Yeah. It was it was kind of it was kind of quirky, funny. Uh, a Brooklyn love story. Yeah. <laughs> love that. Uh, a truly, a truly modern Brooklyn love story from start to end, I would say. <laughs> um, so I would imagine I could be wrong that coming out partially awakened your political consciousness as well. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So between, you know, witnessing combat in Iraq, coming here, being part of a, a really liberal community and then coming out this is the makings of a really progressive and politically leaning person suddenly oh yeah yeah um you know i I think almost like right after i came after i came out and everything i like really dove into the activism yeah of it (laughs) that's so beautiful i've heard people say I don't know, trigger warning addiction, but I've heard people say that um, as soon as you as soon as you start to treat addiction to a substance, you suddenly have this like unrepressible urge to help others do the same. Yeah, that feels like as soon as you come out and attain that level of self-acceptance, you suddenly have like an irrepressible urge to help others in some similar way. That's exactly how it was. It's like I. Now I was part of this community and I wanted to help that community in any way that I could. And so being an activist was the way to go. <laughs> what form did that activism take when you first started? Um, <clears throat> well, marching my little toesies off. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> so much marching. So by this time, we're getting to the Bush years. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and that's... Uh, about the time when I really started, you know, not just not just my trans activism, but my anti-war activism. Really, I started really getting into and uh, because, you know, we went into Iraq again. And, you know, you can ask anybody who was there the first time like me. It's like we we're trying to tell people we well, we never left. We were still there. Yeah. <laughs> And this is just, you know, telling them that this is an excuse. We were there the first time. We found nothing. And now, but, you know, trying to get people on the same page and bring people together and, well, do our best to get Bush impeached. But it's only so much you can do, as you can see in this current time. Yeah. (laughs) That must have really been infuriating to have served a decade prior for the same bogus cause. Yeah, yeah. And then to watch it happen again and half the country to be rallying behind it. Yeah, because the first time no one wanted was rallying behind it. We right. were just sent in. It was just and happening. It just happened and no one, you know, no one wanted it. It's like, why are we there? And then all of a sudden that, oh, well, you know, they have weapons of mass destruction. No, no, they didn't. And even when people were telling them, no, no, they didn't. Yeah. <laughs> the whole time. 
Wow. So you're marching, you're organizing. Yeah. Um, but then the Obama years happened, and did you did you take a break? Um, Quick break. <clears throat> I'd say I, I got a chance for a little break, but uh, I was still um, still there for the uh, still there for the trans activism because there was, still wasn't enough absolutely being offered or being done for trans people. So yeah. Um. Okay, so those eight years, you're you're just as politically active and sort of switching your focus to the task at hand. We're no longer, yeah, I guess, well, a lot of the things that were happening in the Bush years persisted through the Obama years. We just weren't organizing around them in the same way. Right, right. Um, and then the the most recent presidential election happened, and how did your political consciousness change then? Well, boy, uh, seeing... That night, that whole night just progressed and you're, I'm sitting there on the edge of my seat like, oh, please don't win. Please don't win. Please yeah. don't win. And, you know, swearing that if he wins, I will do my ev- everything I can to be involved in politics in some way, shape or form, you know, from just even organizing letter writing campaigns to whatever. And he won. So I felt I had a promise to keep. Yeah. I mean, at the time, I had uh, moved out of the city briefly when that happened. I was living in Massachusetts, Western Mass, um, for a little while. And, you know, just seeing that whole night unfold. uh, And I had the opportunity to move back to the city. And so I moved to Bushwick. Let's Uh, talk about it. (laughs) How, How did you come to move to Bushwick? Um, well, I was moving back to the city and I didn't want to live up, uh, uh, previously before I left, I was living in the Bronx, way, way up in the Bronx. I'm talking, I can spit across the street and hit Westchester Bronx. Gotcha. <laughs> um, and I didn't want to live there and a friend of mine was moving, going to be moving also. So it was just more like, and plus all my friends lived in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Everybody, everybody I know was moving to Brooklyn or lived in Brooklyn or, you know, so I'm like, well, maybe they'll want to come to my house if I'm not living in the Bronx. Yeah, checks out. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, we started, I started looking for an apartment with him and we found one. I'm like, yay, Bushwick. I live in, and everybody's like, finally, you moved to Brooklyn. It's like, thank you. Thank you. It's been a long time coming. You made it. (laughs) I think that. I, I love that question on this show. My Bushwick, I'm not a Bushwick resident anymore, but I feel like this is the neighborhood that brings me together with everyone who I talk to here. So I want to know what brought you here. Now that we have that covered, um, yeah, how did you decide to run for public office yourself? I'll preface this by saying this is something that in organizing and activist communities was talked about more than ever before, I think, right after the Trump election it was like you know what we should actually do freaking run for stuff and you did it and yeah and i kind of went in with that idea well actually i had gone to an event uh, a green party event um boy why gassy (laughs) (laughs) it happens um i went to a green party event and i was just and, you know, enjoying what was going on and, you know, uh, 
And then out of nowhere, someone asked me, well, why don't you run for something? I'm like, I don't know. You should run. And they're like, you should run for the city council seat because uh, the current um, the current Democrat that is sitting there, you know, he's been unchallenged. He was unchallenged before. There was nobody that ran against him. Um, and I'm like, well, let me think about it because that sounds like a big thing to do running for an office. And Why did that person ask you that? Were you a leader in some other way <clears throat> in their life? No. Just like I, a I cool had, person they knew? Yeah, it was somebody I had only met one other time on a previous occasion. So. Huh. <laughs> and they were like, hey, you should run. And you were like, I'll think about it. Uh, and I said, That's a really cool conversation. Because I, I said I'd think about it because I said that I promised that I would do something. And so I had to go home and do the research on the guy and really, really sit and think hard. It's like, am I going to be okay with my life being like an open book like this yeah you know and am i going to be am i just going to be okay with you know public events and everything it's one thing being in a crowd of people and marching down the street screaming stuff right it's another thing when you have to stand on a stage and address people yeah (laughs) so was those were tell me Tell me all the considerations i want to get inside your head in the days and minutes that you were thinking this through i mean honestly it was a lot how much time would this take up uh, would i be able to do anything else uh, aside from you know what little free time it, what does it take to run for an office yeah. and, you know how do i even get on the ballot and it was so much so much minutia that i almost didn't i was like i would I, I was so close to saying no 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 but then i was just reading stuff about uh the current city councilman and i was like wow this is like bushwick was it well it was on the list as you know one of the top three poorest uh poorest areas in new york city Mm -hmm. but yet we had high rises going up expensive high rises that no one within the district could afford and i'm like that doesn't sound good i mean you're just pushing starting to push people out and that's what i was afraid of people just getting pushed out of the neighborhood and where where else are you gonna go you push us out further we're going to be out on long island right yeah east new york is already sort of this like yeah like the place where it, so I see this because East New York is included right in the 37th district. Mm-hmm. And that I think is like the final battleground right now of gentrification in Brooklyn. It really? It, it is. And, you know, like 21, you know, 21 developments were, are, are going to be going up in the 37th district. Wow. 21. And comparing to, you know, how much of that would be considered affordable housing mm-hmm. uh, under the current what affordable meant uh, it was less than five percent of the units wow so i mean just that alone got me got me hot so i was like no this someone has to at least bring it to people's attention yeah and that's really beautiful so you're thinking through all these logistical considerations you're like 
Will I like public speaking that much? Will it take up all my time? Will everyone know everything about me? There's all these, all these considerations that have to do with various qualities of life. But the thing that got you over the edge was just your, your convictions yeah. and wanting to share them with people. But don't get me wrong. I really do like public speaking. So. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm getting that vibe. You're good at it. Um, so. What was it like to campaign? You you put yourself over the edge. You were like, I'm going to do this. And then what? Oh, my goodness. It was exhausting. Um, was it? Yeah. The first thing we had to do was get enough signatures to get on the ballot. Mm-hmm. Being that I was Green Party, that was the easy part at first. Because of party association. Right. Just Green Party, I needed seven signatures to be on the ballot. Oh, easy. <laughs> it is easy to some extent. It's not that many green. Yeah. <laughs> And trying to track them down uh-huh. and, you know, and actually having to make appointments to go to their house so they can sign the petition. Interesting. <laughs> but the, that ended up being problematic because uh, apparently due to some paperwork snafu at the Board of Elections, um, they somehow didn't file my name change. I see. And that means I had to, so I was disqualified from the ballot and, and we're like, but no one told that we could come and they had sent something after the fact, after the day of the hearing that we could contest it Mm -hmm. and we could have did that. And even, even people that worked at the border, let's just say, yeah, this would have been taken care of easy. You would have came and contested it and say, well, this is my name now. Y'all need to change it. They would have said, okay, but they sent the, the, they sent the information after the fact, after the day of the hearing. So we thought we were out and we were like, well, that felt like a waste of time. So what are we going to do? Um, so I went, filed my name change because I still wanted to at least vote. Um, and then someone said, well, you could always run as an independent. Mm. Well, okay, that's no problem. We can do this. And uh, we looked at how many signatures we needed. How close to election time is all of this? Actually, this is pretty happening. far. This is still, this is still uh, five, six months okay. out. Um, but no, five, six months. Yeah, like five months. It was like five months. And we needed, we looked at, see how many signatures we needed to get in this really microscopic window of time. We had two weeks to get some three, uh, no, it had to be, it was like 450, 500 signatures. Mm -hmm. Now it took us like two weeks to get seven signatures. (laughs) But this could have been from anybody. These signatures could have been from anybody. They didn't have to be from Green Party members. Right, right. So, and, well, actually, we thought we had only, like, three or four days to do it. Mm -hmm. So we started because we were like, well, if we can run as independent, we can do this. Yeah. I had never never seen so many people rally to my side. It's like, let's do this. We can do this. That's amazing. And we got, like, 600 signatures in, like, three days. Hell, yeah. And then we found out we had another week. (laughs) well always great to be done early yeah so now we have the signatures to be independent 
Right. And there's nothing they could do to stop me at that point. Yes. Um, my name was changed, or you know, for their records, and and then they said, then they came back and said, "Oh, you since you changed your name, you can be on the Green Party ticket." <gasps> so rude. All that work. Well, at least then you knew you had the support of 600 people. Yes. Amazing. That which was which was pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, but this gave us a rare opportunity because in New York State you can run on a fusion ticket, which means if I happen to have gone out. Is that like for our listeners, a fusion? Is that like when you vote and it's like this is a Democrat and also working parties, whatever it is. Okay, right. So if I had if I wanted to and degrade myself, if I had gone out and got Republican signatures to be on the Republican ballot, uh, Democrat signatures to be on the Democratic ballot and so on and so forth, I could have been on all of them. (laughs) And all the votes add up to the yeah, which fascinating. Which, you know, we looked at this as, and we kept looking at this. This is just seems so unfair, but it's been part of New York State election law forever, and hopefully they're thinking about changing it because uh, I I'm I'm sure that was one of the ways we got eleven hundred uh, uh you know eleven hundred votes because. Some people probably is like, well, I'm not going to vote for Democrat independent. I'm just going to vote for them. Yeah. <laughs> 70 got 10% of the vote against a Democratic incumbent in a Democratic in a completely blue yeah. party line district. So that was quite an accomplishment. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, we were amazed. Uh, actually, I didn't find out how much, how many votes I got until the next day because I was. It was Tuesday night, and one of the things I do on Tuesday nights is I go to my local pub and do trivia. And I'm Love like, it. we're not going to, we're not, and I told my campaign manager, we're not going to look at reports until we're done with trivia. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be like, oh. <laughs> and, and during trivia, we, during trivia, we can't use our phones anyway. So yes. that was perfect. <laughs> Love it. No cheating at trivia. So we went through trivia, but by midnight, we were like, okay, we can't wait any longer. <laughs> Let's see. And we were pretty surprised that, you know, 10% of the vote for someone, uh, an unknown person to come in and... With no political experience. No yeah. political experience. It's Definitely really an impressive feat. Um, I'm curious, you you talked about one of your main motivations being getting your message across, not so much, you know, winning, beating the incumbent, but making people aware, having this visibility and platform uh, to make people aware of the things you wanted them to be aware of. Can we talk a little bit about what those main things were apart from gentrification, which we've talked about now, and how successful you think you were in doing that? Well, I, I know most of the people who probably voted for me was, you know, were voting for, you know, definitely on the more affordable housing platform. Mm-hmm. But also we talked about Medicare for all um, because our current healthcare system just kind of really sucks. Yeah. And so many other countries do it better than, you know, than we do. And, and we should get on board with that. And so Medicare for all. Um, and, 
you know, educational, more after school educational programs or retraining programs for people who want to to go into like uh, the tech, you know, the tech field, Mm -hmm. learning how to code or work on hardware or, you know, um, digital marketing, things like that. Yeah. And, uh, but I think that. Get those Bushwick kids out into our. Out into our internet, right? <laughs> but I think uh, I think a lot of people listened, and they want and eleven hundred people wanted something different, right? And I think next time, if I decide to run, which I probably will, yeah, <laughs> re-elect- re re uh, election time in the in the cards. Uh, yeah, the next city council election that comes up, I think I'm going to uh, I most likely will run again. Um, what year is that? I think we still got another two years. I think, uh, yeah, I think two years. Yeah. So, and it, now that we know, we, we learned from what, you know, stumbles that we made before trying mm-hmm. to figure out how to get on the ballot. We know all this stuff now, so we can breeze through that process Yeah, and get on with and we know when the best time to you know it, we don't have to be on the ballot yet to start campaigning right um so start campaigning heck a year before right uh before election comes up and get on the ballot and just get your message out there um i don't think uh my opponent had to do much campaigning i hardly saw anything of is yeah. around but it's just that he had name recognition and right and incumbent you know just w- people who don't bother to do their research and don't even right. recognize the name see the democratic incumbent right well. and you know i think if people did some research into him they would have been like oh this guy is robbing us blind yeah we should really do something about this but well we'll see next time uh i was told that no one wins on their first time out and i'm like okay City council is this whole other local political world that I don't think, you know, I don't think most people have their mind toward in this political environment. And they really should. It's it, local. Uh, the local government is what makes your laws here in New York City. Yeah. And you, if you want, if you want things to change, you have to vote in the people that you feel are going to get it done. You know, the more people, the more progressive people you have in city council seats, the more progressive laws are going to rule the street that you live on. I I swear the quality of life, you know, in the city will just go up. Yeah. And I think people kind of skip that. And although I, I, I will admit, I did tell people who weren't from New York, like, oh, if you live, if you come from a red state, but you're a Democrat. You know, keep your status in your home state so that you can try to your best to turn turn things there. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, um, as much as we want your vote here in our local politics, we need yeah. your vote for president more in your swing. State. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, that's a great word of advice to end on. Is there any other uh, any other parting thought? Um, yeah, if you want. You, 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 if you want things to change, you have to be that change. If it means running for office or just organizing in your community, um, do it. Because uh, 
it, no one's just going to do it for you. Yeah. And you prove that whatever preparation you have before making the decision, you can still win a turnout, win a, get some people on your side. Exactly. I love it. <laughs> Run for office, especially if you're not a white man. <laughs> um, okay. Thanks for listening. Um, I will be not back next weekend. I'm uh, off for the weekend. I'll be running a rerun, but back the following weekend with a really exciting guest. Uh, Bushwick Junction is, uh, sorry, Radio Free Brooklyn is a nonprofit community radio station supported by listeners. If you'd like to support the station or uh, the show specifically, check us out, RadioFreeBrooklyn.com. Theme song is by Nation of Language. Thanks to them and check them out wherever you get your music. And if you're interested in the show, interested in being a guest, or just have a question, email me at asha at radiofreebrooklyn.org or find the show on Facebook. Uh, I'm going to go out with the song. I normally play my theme song again at the end, but I've just been listening to this one song so much, and I want to play it for you guys. It's by Janelle Monet. It's called I Like That. Bye. <laughs> Right where I